Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Alison Lex and Jenny Wright. If you can't consistently share your lead magnet, if you can't consistently talk to your people via email, if you can't consistently share your story and stuff on social, if you're not consistently talking to people and building collaborations and doing all of the things that you want to do in your business, then what are you doing? Getting your messaging right, figuring out who you serve, serving them with integrity, creating that transformation, that's how you stick with it and that's how you figure out what works for you. Hi there and welcome back to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. My name is Bob Gentle and every week I'm joined by amazing people who share what makes their business work. If you've just hit play and you still have the app open, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you're on an iPhone, that's the plus or the follow icon. That way you won't miss a single thing. And before I jump into introducing this week's guest, just a quick reminder again that after nearly 200 of these interviews, I've learned a thing or two about what makes business work online. And it turns out that success does leave clues. And I want to offer you a map. If you jump over to my website, you can grab your copy of the personal brand business roadmap. It's everything you need to start, scale, or just fix your expert business. And it's yours for free as a gift from me. Now, sometimes, very rarely, you just take an interview on trust because you know the people, you know what they know, and you just know you want the chance to rinse them for everything that's going on and it's going to be gold. So Jenny and Alison from System to Thrive, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. And for those listening, I'm Alison Lex. I am a direct response copywriter. And I'm Jenny Wright, and I'm ecstatic to be here. Thanks so much. And I'm a business strategist and lead generation expert. So Jenny and Alison, you both have your individual businesses and we've got to know each other over the last couple of years, I guess, from doing little bits and pieces together. I think Jenny, I was on the summit that you ran. Did you run it together or was it? Alison was was instrumental in making it happen. It was my summit in particular, but Alison was, yeah, Alison was in there too. And I think Jenny, you've been on the show before. I have, just me. Yeah. And Alison, have you been on the show before? I'm feeling a little jealous because I'm no, so sorry. no, I haven't. It's okay. I mean, there's there's still time. You can make oh, it. The shame. The shame. <laughs> we got to know each other over the last couple of years, and you've both yeah. really impressed me with what you bring to the table for your clients, but more importantly, that for the wider audience, because a lot of people, they get super focused on client work. But if you want to find success online, it's much bigger than just being good at what you do. You need to let people know you're good at what you do. And the way that you two work together, I think is a brilliant role model for a lot of people in how collaboration online can not just work, but it can be excellent. So for, for the listener who doesn't know you both individually, why don't you both take a moment? Obviously you, you gave a little bit of an introduction, but what do you do for your clients and what's your area of genius, if you like? Jenny, why don't you go first? No, Alison, because you haven't been on before, you go first. Oh, oh, I see. So that's how you're going to make it up to me. So um, (laughs) yeah, so as a copywriter, my job is really to take what you sell and make it sound really great to the people you want to sell it to. Uh, Frankly, a lot of what I do for my clients is, is coaching and, and consulting on messaging and understanding their audience. And I do a lot of product creation as well. So if you if you have expertise and you want to package it in a certain way, I am really good at packaging it for sale 
And, and then, of course, the overarching strategy of we can try this, do this, start them here, and all of that stuff. So when I'm working just by myself, that's the kind of stuff that I do. And then, of course, Jenny brings a whole nother host of expertise to the table. I want to come back to the packaging in a little while, but Jenny, you go ahead. Well, Alison gave me such a sweet lead-in, which was nice of her. So I'm a business building strategist, I guess you could say, consultant. I don't like to call myself a coach, although I find myself coaching clients a lot. And I also do an extensive amount of lead generation. So building people's email lists, their followings online, helping them get seen, things of that nature, so that they have an audience to sell to, which directly complements a lot of the skills that Allison has. And yeah, it's been it's been awesome. And then the other thing is I've been a specialist now for several years in online summits. So I've done about 320 online summits and it's been it's been a really cool way to understand the the online marketing industry and people and how people build their lists and you know the trends that are coming out which are really fascinating. So that's that's sort of me. So from listening to both of you there's a lot of there is an expert there somewhere and they have a real problem closing the value loop. So there's somebody out there who needs what they have. There's a piece of magic in your client, but connecting the two can be really, really difficult. And Jenny, you mentioned coaching. And again, even in the productization side of things, I'm willing to bet there's a lot of coaching because people don't understand a lot of the time where their value is. They make some assumptions, but actually what you can see in other people is quite different from what they see in themselves. And if you're going to do the job well for your client, you need to draw out that value. Agreed. So do you find any consistencies in, in where people's limiting beliefs are when they come to you? Absolutely. There is a ton of limiting beliefs with people around, will this sell? Is this the right thing? And Alison will agree with this 100%, but people always have limiting beliefs or 99% of the time around the price. And they undervalue and undersell themselves on their product extensively. Um, so there's that big issue where they think, oh, I'm just going to charge $197 for this thing that I'm creating. And if I look at it, or if I, you know, if Allison looks at it, we're like, no, no, dude, not even like, that's got to be a $400 product or a $600 product or something along those lines. So there's a really big discrepancy between people's value of what they see they should charge and what they should. Now, the opposite is also true where we, you know, we've run into clients and one of their their limiting beliefs is I'm so awesome that <laughs> <laughs> I'm so awesome that people should pay oodles of money to get access to me. And, you know, my time is worth so, 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 so much. And we have to go, hold on a minute, wait a second, you're selling at scale and you're selling one to many. Therefore, the price has to be a little bit different than what you're looking at and also what the market can bear. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of what I see. One of the things that I like in the way that you've described things so far is somebody at the beginning of their journey, they won't have an awful lot of audience. And there's probably a proportionality in terms of what they can charge. So helping them build that audience in order that they can 
potentially priced differently in the future is quite important. One of the things, Jenny, you described was working with clients on their online profile, on their online persona, helping them with their social media and things like that. What does that in practical terms actually look like? Funny enough, because I'm not a social media coach and I can't give people the strategy on how to build their social media, maybe as well as a social media coach does, what I will attempt to do is really create a seamless cross-platform sort of understanding so that we don't get that whiplash effect if I go to your Instagram and then I go to your LinkedIn and on your Instagram, you're like wild and crazy and having a good time. And on your LinkedIn, you're all buttoned up and there's no, like there's, there's, there's just really no connection. But when it comes to growing your reach or having any exposure with social media, what I do tell people is consistency, right? Posting with consistency, creating invaluable content, original content, things of that nature. And not necessarily, depending on the business, but not necessarily thinking, oh, I got to do this trend and I got to do that trend. More about creating content that resonates to your ideal client. Everybody wants to build a list of buyers, but they don't do the thing that actually attracts the list of buyers. They struggle with that. So either they go too far on one side and they create content that's not useful for those list of buyers and they attract the wrong people, or they get so sort of perplexed that they don't do anything. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I I actually would love to hop in here because Jenny mentioned something that I think is really important a couple minutes ago, which was really focusing on that overall encompassing plan, that overarching plan. And I think it's really important that when you're thinking about growing your business, you look at social media as just one facet of your overall thing. I view social media as a traffic uh, platform as well as an engagement opportunity. So it's a traffic source and an engagement opportunity. It is not the end all be all of your business. So how can you leverage it for those two things, traffic and community engagement in the broader context of your entire business? And that's really where where I think the sweet spot is. I think you... You hit the nail on the head for me because a lot of people think that social media is is their online business. And it's just not like that. Social media, like you said, is a great way to gain some foundational visibility, but it's not a great place to have conversations. And we had somebody on the show recently, she said something really clever, which was conversations lead to connections and connections lead to customers. And if you want to have more customers, you're going to need to have more conversations. And social media doesn't really allow you to scale that very well. But what it does allow you to do is invite people to your party. So I have two questions I really want to go to with this. Number one is, how should people, could people be using social media to bring people a little closer to things like summits, webinars? When is the right time to be doing that? But alongside this, and I think, Alison, this is an important question probably for you. A lot of people don't really tell their story in a way that allows you to make sense to people. A lot of people assume people know what you do and what you're for, but people meet you for the first time every day. So how are you telling that story every day? How do you tell that story every day? Does that make sense? It does make sense. And Sorry, you know, I asked a lot of questions in one. It's, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, because really what I'm going to do is kind of combine it all together. All right. So 
the way that you bring people closer to you, and this is true whether it's on social media, in your email list, face-to-face networking, I do not care how you're interacting with them. Social media, again, is one facet of your business. You bring them closer to you with stories about you, yes, so that they can get to know you, but it's really, really important that at some point, preferably pretty early in the story that you're sharing, you connect the dots for them on why they care. All right, so this is a really big mistake that I see a lot of people make with any copy that they write, especially sales pages. They talk about themselves, but they don't really tell me why I care to know this, right? So if I was going to tell you the story about the time that I was on a live stream in a, a really big Facebook group and I was I was not having a good ego day, I was, I was just not feeling it that day. I just wasn't feeling like I had a lot to offer business or the world or right. I was having a moment and the host lost internet connection and had made me a co-host of this live stream. So now here I am in this group full of people I've never met before, not feeling my best. And now I've got to wing it on my own instead of in an interview conversation format that I was more comfortable with, right? Like I've just told you that whole story and why, Yeah. why did I tell you that? And, you know, for the purposes of of being truthful. I told you that story because it's the first one that popped in my head. I'm totally winging this right now, but I could say, bring it in there, open up with, you know what? Sometimes you're just not having a great day. I'm using the, the, the word you. So my audience knows I'm talking about them. You're just not feeling yourself. I know how that feels. Here's my, my experience. But this is what I learned from it. And this is what I want you to learn from it, right? So I'm now bookending my story, my talking about myself with understanding where my audience is, understanding what they need, and delivering to them value that they want. And that's how you're going to bring people closer. I've let them get to know me. I've told them about how I'm not always on top of the world. They feel connected to me but I didn't do it in a way that's just all about Allison. I get that. It makes perfect sense. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. The question that's in my mind here at this point is, and I have my own assumptions and my own ideas, my own gut instincts as to how I would approach it, but I'm curious to hear from you who spends all day on this. How much is too much in terms of telling people what you do and how they can buy from you? And how much is not enough? Does that make sense? And I guess I'm interested in both your perspectives on this. So, uh, Jenny, if you want to jump in on this with a different perspective to Alison, that's cool because that's how we get the truth. <laughs> um, we don't to, just listen to me. That's true, right? right? <laughs> I agree with Alison on this. My perspective is almost identical, which is one of the reasons why we work so well together. Yeah. So I, I don't really have too, too much to creatively add, it would sound like filler. So I'm I'm on board with what Allison was saying. I think the question I was aiming for this time was one that we didn't really address previously, which was in our content, yes, we need to tell our stories and connect with people. But when it comes to the transactional side of it saying, and this is how you can hire me, buy from me, whatever, how much is too much and how much is not enough? How do you hit that sweet spot oh. between actually trying to trigger some kind of buyer behavior, if you like. Okay. I understand. Everything from opting in through to spending actual money. 
That is a complex question. And I'm glad you asked it. And I think that most people err on the side of too little, where it comes to, say, promotion to register for a webinar that will then sell your high-end coaching program, as an, as an example, or register for a webinar that'll sell your low-end ticket offer. And people think that they can promote the webinar for, you know, maybe four or five days, and that should be sufficient to let people know. But that isn't actually the case. People, strangely enough, with the amount of information that's being passed around out there, do not see your information as much as you think they do. So you might be posting, let's just say you post seven days in a row to get people to register for your webinar or your offer. Chances are with the way people are scrolling and how much information they're seeing, they're maybe seeing that one, that, that out of your seven days, they're seeing one post. That's not enough for them to make a decision. So one of the things that I look at when it comes to promotion to get people to make the sale or to, to register for something is I look at an elongated promotional period and built into that promotional period is a bit of a runway that Allison and I call it. So we're, we're trying to build up that people's excitement towards whatever it is you're doing. We do that with a combination of different styled posts, like, you know, lifestyle posts and promotional posts and things of that nature. So it's not all banging you over the head, but at the same time, it's really getting people to start thinking about you as the brand. Also, I think when it comes to email, people don't promote enough. The, the fear, the knee-jerk fear is, oh my God, the people on my list are going to unsubscribe because I'm going to be emailing them too much. And I, actually, we had this conversation recently with a client where we said, we're going to promote your thing and we're going to send seven emails over the course of, I think it was, Allison, correct me if I'm wrong, somewhere in about 10 days. 10 to 12, yeah. Yeah, 10 to 12 days. And the client was like, hell no, because if you do that, my list is going to freak out and they're all going to unsubscribe. And Allison and I were like, yeah, and? (laughs) Because... Oh my gosh, Jenny, you make us sound so cold and uncaring. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) okay. So, you know, reality is we were like, we understand how you feel and thank you for bringing up your concern. However... (laughs) You know, in our heads, we're like, and, but, you know, in reality, we're like, yeah, but we're, we're really not that cold, but we were trying to explain to the client, like, Hey, you know what? They're not going to see the, f- I mean, how many emails do you actually see of people when you have so many coming in and you need to be gently and perceptively and, you know, authentically sort of banging people over the head a little bit, but promo emails and Allison can explain this better than me promotional emails to your program product or service don't necessarily all have to be promo, promo, promo. They also can infuse teachable moments, lifestyle, fun, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of share, maybe, you know, some case studies. So they don't feel so buy my thing, buy my thing. Like they, (laughs) you know what I mean? And, uh, and that's one of the things that Allison's so good at. I absolutely agree with you on the intensity of emails. I tell you, my email inbox, it used to just be mayhem. And I spent probably about two weeks unsubscribing from anything that irritated me. And I think this is the thing. That was the stuff that irritated me. I left a lot in there. And now I can see the wood from the trees. And I can see that there are some people who do email me every day, literally every single day, but they're still there because I haven't unsubscribed because they haven't irritated me. And it's because it is well done email. And because I've connected with them for the right reasons. 
And if you've got people on your mailing list and you irritate them, they're never going to buy from you. So they may as well be gone. That makes so much sense. I think, too, just to jump in and talk about the promoting versus not promoting thing, I think what we really need to also look at is when you're selling, there are different things that you sell. And not all sales are money, right? You're asking them to invest time, attention, energy, to give you information, to leverage relationships. I I think I probably have a, a podcast episode about the five different things that I've listed. But really, you're asking for, in most cases, something other than money. If I have a webinar, it's a free webinar. I'm, I'm just asking you to invest some time with me, which frankly, just as a little soundbite takeaway here, time is a more finite resource than money. So it's actually harder to get somebody to invest time than money in a lot of cases. But when you have your posts, your emails, your calls to action, they should be in everything you do. Everything you do should have should ask them to do something. And really what you want to do is begin to teach and train your audience that this is a give and take relationship. I'm not just going to be here to give, 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 because that makes me a doormat. And that's not how, you know, the mortgage company does not take doormat as payment for my home. It's okay to make money, but it's also, you have to frame the relationship with your list, with your following, with your audience, with your buyers, with everybody in the way of, I am happy to give and I want you to have value and I am going to ask for things in return. Even if all that is, is a comment on a post, I'm going to ask. And by doing that consistently with everything that you do, when you ask them for money, it's not such a shock to their system. A lot of times what I see my my clients or, or people that I talk to are like, you know, every time I I ask my list to buy something, they just do nothing but unsubscribe. And when I go and I look at how they've interacted in the past, they're just all about the give. Well, yeah, you've trained them to just expect that they're going to get without anything in return. So start with, can you send hit reply and tell me what you think about this? Or can you go watch this video and give me your biggest takeaway? register for this thing, download this, get them to take action. What's in my mind here is what I can only describe as the fear because I can, I'll be totally honest, I see people doing that and I think, wow, they must have such engaged audiences that they're willing to ask for that engagement and trust that it'll come because I can imagine the situation where you'd say with some enthusiasm and fanfare, let me know what you think and you get the tumbleweed. How do you move past that fear of, I can only call it rejection. It's not really rejection. It's more passive than that. The fear of zero engagement. Zero engagement's okay when when you're not making a big deal out of it. But when you're asking for engagement and you don't get it, you feel like you might look like a bit of a Billy No Mates, so to speak. I know what you mean, and I've had (laughs) that same fear, right? And what I want you to do first is check your history. Have you asked them for that engagement before? Have you 
trained them that this is what you're looking for from that relationship. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's just like when you're dating somebody, right? Or you're married and ask me how I know this, you have to ask for what you want and you're not going to get it the first six times you ask, (laughs) right? Like you might, but it's not going to be something that's consistent. It takes time to learn what people want from a relationship and make no mistake, your followers, your audience, your buyers are in a sort of relationship with you. It might be transactional and financial or whatever, but it's a relationship. And if you haven't been consistent with asking for what you want, you can't expect to get it the first time you do. The second thing to bring up is something that Jenny said, consistency, because not everybody's going to see everything you do. If I have a thousand followers on Instagram or a thousand people on my ins- on my email list, what percentage of them are even going to see the request? Okay. So if I have a 13% open rate, which is not great, but if I have a 13% open rate and I send an email to a hundred people, only 13 people have seen that email. So if I get one reply, well, that's actually a pretty good percentage. Okay, so I think that we get so caught up in, I have this kind of email list, or I have this kind of following, we don't think about the actual numbers of, of who are seeing, who's seeing our stuff. Yeah. Jenny, you have something to add here. I, I know do. because I saw a little note coming up there. <laughs> Well, I would be, the- I'm, I'm Canadian, therefore polite, and I'm like, hey, yeah, please speak. But I just interrupt. I know. To add to what Alison's saying, there's something that I think is important to note. And you have a goal, right? Your goal is to be into business and your goal is to make money. Your goal is to build relationships and network. When you're looking at emailing your list and connecting with them, you have to drop your ego. This is actually isn't about you. It's about what your list needs, right? So Alison said that your list is like you're being in a relationship with them. And it's a it's not even about it's not that it's not about your wants or your needs, but it's not about your ego. It's not about, oh my God, if I email people, they're going to think I'm this or that, or oh, if I email people, they're going to unsubscribe. It's, hey, you know what? If I don't email them, they're never going to know about me. And if I don't email them, guess who they're going to go and look at for the exact same information, even though mine's better? They're going to go look at the next person. And I don't want them to go there because if they do, I'm going to lose them. So one of the one of the things that we have to look at, and this is, this is literally the self-talk I had with myself because I'm more introverted and I, I'm always afraid that if I email people, they're going to judge me and especially the way that I talk or whatnot. So when I would go to send an email to my list, I would start the email three or four times and then stop or start the email three or four times and then you know never finish and never send it. And then I would berate myself for never having sent the email. Instead, the self-talk is if I don't tell them about the webinar they're never going to know. And if they don't know, they're not going to register. And if they don't register, they're not going to hear about my great thing. And if they don't hear about my great thing, I'm never going to be able to sell it and then help more people with their problems and then be able to get people out of the XYZ problem that they're experiencing. And then I'm not getting my gift out into the world. So I always try and say, get your insecurities and your ego out of the way. And it's hard, I know. But if you can do it so that you, you can put your best foot forward. And I've done this to Allison. I've literally had this exact conversation with Allison when she went to do her first summit because it was overwhelming. Yep. She does this to you. And she's like, (laughs) 
okay, so you have some insecurities and you have some ego issues and I love you, but I don't care. Do it anyway. And that's really, that's how you get past it. Okay. I think think that's right. You have to treat it like showbiz, basically. Yeah. The show must go on. Get on the stage. Go. Yeah. Uh, They didn't interact. They didn't engage. That really sucks. Do it again. So there there are two places I would like to go now. And you're both ideally suited to deal with one or the other of them. So the first one is a lot of people complain that their list building isn't working. They might have a lead magnet, but it's not really doing very much. When you meet somebody right at the beginning, how do you get them from the point where their email list is stagnant to the point where nobody's really been added to it in any volume for a long time, or they haven't really made a start to the point where they've got consistent list growth? Because at the at the heart of this, email list is the closest precursor to sales that you can have anywhere. So email list building is a number one strategy. And Jenny, I'm going to lean on you for that. And the next one that I'm going to come to after that is so many people have so much to bring to the world, but they never put it in a box and they never wrap it with a bow. And that's really where we're looking at productization and product program design. So that question, I'm going to lean on you, Alison, and when you meet somebody and you think you've got something special there, how do you take that to market? So Jenny, let's start with the list building. I, I, I suck. How can I get to the point where my list building doesn't suck? Mm. Not me personally, obviously, because I'm yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Your third person suck. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. One of the things that I do individually and Alison and I do together, and she does also with her clients, is we have to ask a lot of questions. I think the reason why a lot of lead magnets fail is the wrong questions have been asked and the wrong product has been created, right? So the questions that have to be asked is long-term versus short-term, right? Consistency versus list injection. So when I say consistency is you've got a lead magnet where you're constantly sending traffic and it's adding onesies and twosies. And a list injection is doing an online summit where you're adding three, four, 500, 1,000, 1,500 people to your list in one go. So lead magnets tend not to work or list building tends not to work for a number of reasons. Number one, you're not putting, uh, you're not putting the right thing out for people to, to get it, okay? So you're like, oh, I need to build my list. I'm going to create a PDF download and there, see, did it. It's on my website, go get it. And nobody <laughs> goes and gets it. And then- I did, I did that. Didn't hey, work. but you know what? Your your download, your PDF download, I love I love that thing. It's on my desktop right now. So <laughs> it took a long time to get there, and that one works. But this is yeah, like attempt gonna, number ten. Attempt number ten. But think about the questions that you asked yourself, right? And by the way, not every lead magnet's going to work. Can I just say, even as somebody who's been doing this for nine years, you're never not not every lead magnet is going to be the perfect thing. That's just the you know the this, the skies will open and heaven will shine down, and you know all of a sudden you have thousands of people on your list. There is some trial and error. I last year created a quiz. I thought the quiz was going to be the best darn thing ever. So did Allison. We're like, this I'm is going to be still mad. So mad. <laughs> I'm like, still mad. That it. thing is so good. We spent so much time on it. We like it was awesome. And you know what? It has been one of the duds of my list building career. And I'm okay with it. Like I will talk about it and talk about all the things I did wrong. But to boil it down. So the real things as to why this doesn't work is they're satisfying the wrong need. 
So as an example, I was saying before, if you just think, oh, I need to create a lead magnet, I'm just going to create a, a PDF and throw it on my website and call it a day, you haven't done enough to make sure that it's the thing your ideal client wants. Number two is you're creating the, the right lead magnet for the wrong audience. So if you've been posting on social media or if you never posted on social media, but you start posting and you're attracting the wrong group of people and the lead magnet doesn't fit what those people that you're attracting, what they do or what they're interested in, they're never going to download it. And the other thing people don't do is they don't talk to their ideal client. You know, if you just ask people what they want, trust me when I say that they will tell you. So I will ask people and I try not to ask people who are super close to me. Like I can ask Allison all day long what she wants, but she's biased right? My partner is biased. If I ask him what he thinks I should create, he's going to have some bias. So I try and ask complete strangers, what is it that, you know, what is the thing that you need right now that would solve a small P problem in your business? And what would that look like? And they're like, oh God, I really need somebody to tell me how to, you know, put on a summit. Or I really need somebody to do X, Y, Z and ABC. Okay. That starts the list, right? And we build up the list of what those things might be. And then we start thinking about the ideas. I created, like I said, once that quiz went to poop in a handbasket, Allison and I were like, frickin' frack, that's ridiculous. And <laughs> we were so angry. We didn't use frickin' frack, but they all started with Fs, okay? All the words did. And maybe some Ss. And Fun and fudge. Yes. Were the words, just as a heads up. Thanks, Allison. <laughs> She's my walking, like, thesaurus. And we then formulated a different list build. And we, for not list build, sorry, a lead magnet. And this one was an on-demand webinar. Well, guess what? Apparently my people like on-demand webinars, okay? So that one's hitting. The quiz did not. I thought the quiz was going to be awesome and fun and super cool. Nope, not even close. So it, yeah, it really does take a lot more than what people are putting into it. Yeah, I think you, you do need to try out a few different things and something will stick. But I think at the end of the day, this needs to be your lead magnet, whatever you want to call it. You're making a promise. In that document, you have to, or whatever it is, you need to keep that promise. But it needs to be a promise somebody gets excited about you making. And I think that's where a lot of people fall down is they almost look at their lead magnet as administration. Nobody's going to get excited about a checklist anymore, really. You need to go a bit bigger than that. And yeah, on-demand webinars, little courses, things like that. They can work really, really well. Well, I and think I'm actually, I'm going to break in because if you remember earlier, I talked about how, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you, but I'm not Canadian, so I'm allowed to be rude. It's okay. Um, <laughs> earlier, I said that one of the most difficult things to do is get someone to be willing to invest time with you. And so if you have an on-demand webinar, you what you may discover and i think jenny i don't know how your results have matched up to this but you you may get fewer leads because watching a video or what have you is a time investment you're now asking me to to dedicate 40 to 45 minutes of my time with you but the people who do sign up for it who do consume it are like more likely to be higher quality and more likely to convert so you know, I, I know we don't want to, I'm not trying to overwhelm anybody listening, but there are definitely a lot of things to consider when you're putting together offers, free offers, paid offers, all of it, because not just how much am I asking them to pay, but what else am I asking them to do? 
I agree with that. I, I agree as well. I think one of the things that popped out for me as you were describing that was if you can give away something that your competitors look at and go, whoa, hang on a moment, you're onto something. Because as I've heard some people say, I don't know who, but people, they won't pay for information, they'll pay for implementation. So you can go big on information that your competitor will be slightly anxious about, and then you will get the right leads. And you're absolutely right. You don't want people on your list that aren't going to be highly engaged. That makes no sense. 100%. You don't want tire kickers. They, they don't help you. That's right. That's right. And a lot of people on your list are tire kickers, freebie seekers. So be okay letting them go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, another thing, and I say this as a case in point, if it's a freebie you think somebody would be excited to share, then you're onto a winner. And that's one thing I really liked about your website. You have this um, content prompts. It's genius. I shared that with a client. It's so good. Just well, saying. I think there's one other element that really, really made the difference for me. And I, I don't know how you feel about it, but if it's a lead magnet that you can put your hand up with some pride and rather than embarrassment, it really, really helps. And I think with, for me, having the personal brand business roadmap is something I'm really, really pleased with. I use it every day with my own clients. And when I go and speak on somebody's podcast or on a summit, I'm really enthusiastic about sending people to it because I know it has some genuine value and they're not going to be disappointed when they get there. And I know the same is probably true of the kind of lead magnets that you work on, but having that pride in it, that it's not just ticking a box to say, I've got one, that makes such a difference. You want to have pride in everything that you do. Any message that you put out, that's something that that I work really hard with my clients on when I write their copy. I want them to feel comfortable and a proud and like they can stand behind what it is that we're pushing forward for them. And I know that Jenny does the same when she consults and, and strategizes summits and does all the implementation stuff. You really, at the end of the day, this is your business. This is your thing. And one of the struggles that I think as business owners we have is that there are a, approximately 600 bajillion people telling us <laughs> all different strategies that are certain to work. If they don't feel good to you, if it doesn't feel like something that you can stick with every single day, then it's not the right strategy for you. Jenny is a big fan of the word consistency. Eventually, I'm going to just get, she keeps talking about getting a tattooed. I'm just going to buy her a bunch of temporary tattoos so she can laugh at that. But consistency. I still want to get it. I know. Well, and she's going to be so proud of me talking about this because consistency really is that important in your business. And if you aren't following something that you can be consistent with. If you can't consistently share your lead magnet, if you can't consistently talk to your people via email, if you can't consistently share your story and stuff on social, if you're not consistently talking to people and building collaborations and doing all of the things that you want to do in your business, then what are you doing? So getting your messaging right, figuring out who you serve, serving them with, I mean, with integrity, really creating that transformation that's how you stick with it and that's how you figure out what works for you and i think this actually is quite important now that we go to program design because all that consistency is for nothing if you don't have something on the table for people to say you know what i want one of those so you meet me as mr random consultant you think i'm kind of cool i know some stuff 
how do you work with me to productize that so that people don't have to pay me X dollars an hour anymore, but I can scale my value differently? Is that a fair question? Oh, yeah, very fair. And I'm going to give you the answer that is going to sound so simple that you're going to wonder why you didn't think of it. When you work with a new client, what do you do? What documents do they fill out? What training do you give them? What questions do you answer all the time? What processes do you walk them through? What do you do? When you're with a one-on-one client, right? You're already successful in your coaching or consulting biz. You're already doing this. What do you do? Okay, cool. Put it together. Answer the questions. Create the trainings. Give them the templates. You now have a product. It just removed you from it. That's the difference. The difference between high ticket consulting, coaching, what have you, and a self-study or DIY or whatever product is the removal of you. It's still the same information. It's still the same documents. It's still the same forms. It's still the same process. You're just taking you out. So the high ticket, low ticket question, how -hmm. do I decide which one to do first? How would you advise me to approach that? Because yes, I could go all in on a $10,000, whatever it is, or I could do a $50 a month thing instead. Who should make the the big ticket decision and who should make the low ticket decision? How would you? Yeah. So it's funny. I think Jenny just actually did a webinar on this, but I helped her come up with some (laughs) of the content. So I feel like I can speak on it if she wants me to. Um, <laughs> so high ticket is when you don't have a huge butt list. I'm trying to watch my mouth. If you don't have that huge list, it's a numbers game at that point. And I know I said that earlier too. At some point, it's a numbers game. If I only have X number of people on my list and that's, you know, let's let's use the 100 number, okay? If I have 100 people on my list and 100 followers... What can I realistically expect to make from a $50 program? Maximum 100 times 50, right or for a reason. So I'm going to actually do the math on my little calculator right here, which is $5,000. I can realistically expect maximum with 100 people to make $5,000. End of discussion. Is that worth doing? No, right? When I could sell one to 100, which is a 1% conversion rate of a $5,000 program and make the same amount. Now, if I have a list of 100,000, then we're talking about a different situation, right? So what we advise is start with high ticket. This is your done for you service. This is your one-on-one coaching This can be, depending on where you are, this can be a a group coaching beta type of situation, okay? And then as you grow, that's when you productize. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think this is a mistake I feel a lot of people making, that they go the low ticket route too early. Way too early. And then they wonder why they achieve no traction. If you have an existing business, it makes so much sense to simplify your higher end offers. Just remove some complexity, lean in on a niche and get some systems around that. And then focus as you, as you're doing that on building your audience and your authority and your visibility. And then you can lean into the low ticket stuff and serve at scale. 
I think absolutely. That's... It's that sexy passive income lie that we're fed online. That if you just create a tiny product, you'll be rolling in it. And and I think you can, but you need to have earned the right. And yeah. this is where a lot of people fall down. Yeah. If you don't have the list and you don't have the following, your $27 product, your $67 product, or your $97 product is never going to make you the $30,000 that you think you should be getting out of it. I totally do think that. I'm going to wing it at this point because really where we're leaning with all of this is additional visibility. That if you want a bigger list, you need bigger visibility. You need to bring that visibility to your, your lead magnet and the opportunities to get on your list. If you want to sell more product, you need more visibility. So your top tips for 2022, if somebody wants more visibility, what should they do? I'll start with Alison. Oh, see, I was going to let Jenny go first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So top tips for 2022. Uh, you know, and again, Jenny, the, you can tell we work together so well. For visibility, right? So if it's if it's 2022 tips for t- visibility, come on, you know this. We know what we're going to say. Well, yeah, I was going to say you touched on something earlier about list injection and long term. And really, it's about leveraging both of those. So what you want to do is collaborate consistently, post on social, all of those things, right? Do things like this podcast. We're here on this podcast getting in front of a whole brand new audience. And Bob's already mentioned our content prompt generator. So that's visibility that can lead to traffic. But then Jenny and I are also planning individual summits, which are those list injection. So we have the long-term stuff and then the list injection. Use them both. I think you answered for Jenny as well, Alison. <laughs> oh, she totally did. But that's, I mean, there's nothing I, I wouldn't, well, there's nothing I wouldn't disagree with. And I answer for her too, right? Yeah. But I would highly, highly, highly encourage people. What they do, one of the biggest things that I find that people should be doing for 2022 you know, we're, we're still early on and we're still early days in the year. It's, it's not that it's not too late to get this plan going. However, is you should be the stuff that you should be doing in Q1 will set you up for Q2, three and four, right? So getting onto other people's podcasts is essential. You should be working 90 days ahead. Like this podcast that we're on with you right now, at the time of the recording, it's a certain time of year. You could release this six weeks from now. We don't know, but this will help us get exposure. We should be planning to try and get, you know, 10 to 15 other podcasts on our done so that we have additional exposure. And like I said, like what you're doing now is going to set you up for the rest of the year. If you wait until July to get on podcasts, thinking that it'll give you a boost in your audience to help you sell your program, product or service in August, you're too late. Start now, early, get that audience built up, get that exposure built up, and then you're really just adding gas to a really awesome bonfire. And looking at it from the summit perspective, a lot of people come with a lot of imposter syndrome. I guess the question I'm leading to is, how expert is expert for things like a virtual summit as a guest speaker? How expert is expert? Do you Can you give me a little bit more information? Well, what I, what I mean by that is a lot of people maybe think they're not quite ready for it and to host it not to host it but to maybe turn up as a guest expert or to potentially host it you we could both we could go both directions well i okay so i understand the question and so that's a 
that's a little bit of a you problem in terms of how you view <laughs> yourself. And I will always tell people that whatever it is that you're doing, whatever program, product or service or thing that you create or whatever it is that you're able to do to help and serve people is 100% something that pe that people need. And you're probably the expert in it because you spent the most amount of time trying to figure it out. Are there other people in your field probably doing it too? Maybe. But are they doing it like you? No, probably not. And that makes you the expert, right? So getting out in front of an audience and being an expert on a summit, and you know this, Bob, because when you were on my summit, you were like, I'm not sure I'm the right person. I'm like, yeah, you're the right person. Just come do this. And it's it's literally about trusting in the fact that you have something that keeps you going, that makes you a standout, and that you have the right to say, I'm an expert in this. Brilliant answer. And that's my pep talk for the day. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm looking at the time. We should probably bring things to a close. If people want to connect with you, how can they do that both collectively and individually? Okay, so you can head over to system2thrive.com. That is our podcast's home on the web. This is where you can get past episodes or connect directly with Jenny and I on a strategy call or something like that. You can find me on alisonlex.com. That's A-L-Y-S-O-N-L-E-X.com. And I'm also Allison Lex on every social platform. I think maybe on Twitter, I'm at the Allison Lex, but I don't really tweet. So don't worry about it. And then Jenny is at JennyWright.com. But her socials, they vary a little bit because her name is a little more common than mine. Yeah, so, so yeah, just I'm, look for yeah, her I'm, Jenny I'm, Wright. I'm Jenny L. Wright. Jenny L. Wright on Instagram. Because <laughs> I couldn't get Jenny Wright, but I'm out there. You'll find me. But I guess you can find you both on the System to Thrive site. Yes, we're both on systemtothrive.com. So I have had great fun. Thank you so much for letting me wing it with you both. It's not very often I have two people on at once as a, as a host. It can be a bit freaky sometimes. So, you did a great job, though. <laughs> thanks for enduring it with me. <laughs> I had a really fun time. Yeah, I did too. too. But I need to close with the question. What's one thing you do now that you wish had started five years ago? Jenny, you go first. I wish I started working with Allison in a more formal way five years sooner than I did. And I honestly wish that I had done my podcast with her earlier or any podcast earlier because it really would have just given a lot more growth a lot more quickly. I was not prepared for Jenny to come with that heartfelt, very sweet <laughs> answer. And I have emotions that I good. need to process for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> now, good luck topping that. When? Oh, well, I wish that I had gotten out of my own head sooner. I wish that I had gotten over a lot of the crud that's been holding me back faster than I have. Again, a brilliant, brilliant answer. I think so many people underestimate how their own heads hold them back. So I think that's a great place to end. Alison and Jenny, you've been great fun. I have had an awesome time. I think we're going to have to do this again because we didn't cover even a fraction of what I thought we might. But for now, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe and join our Facebook group. You'll find a link in the show notes or visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. Also connect with me wherever you hang out. You'll find me on all the social platforms at Bob Gentle. 
If you enjoyed the show, then I would love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would make my day. And if you shared the show with a friend, you would literally make my golden list. My name is Bob Gentle. Thanks to you for listening. And I'll see you next week.